the very first episode of CadaverCast. I'm Jeff Burnham, and joining me is my co-host... Alistair. Alistair, do you want to tell our audience what this podcast is all about? Yes. Dracula. Dracula, Dracula. Yeah, that's what this episode's about. What, what is CadaverCast all about? CadaverCast is all about monsters. That's right. Alistair and I are going to be talking about monster movies throughout this podcast. Al's a big fan of monsters. So am I. We decided to do this podcast on Alistair's suggestion, I should add, as a way to chronicle our enjoyment of monster movies together. It's actually my choice. It's actually mine because I choose it. What did you choose? It's actually my podcast. I made it up, so it's mine. (laughs) I make it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, this is true. <laughs> this is, but yes, I mean you kind of need me too, right? I mean, this is was my equipment, so. But it was my podcast. <laughs> but it's your podcast idea, yes. No, it's my podcast. All right. You know what then? Huh? It's gonna be both of our podcasts. Oh, that's very nice of you. So the topic of this first podcast is 1931's Dracula from Universal, and this was your choice, right, Alistair? Yes. Do you want to tell me why you chose Dracula for our first episode? Hmm, because I think that was my favorite monster movie. Oh, it's your favorite one? Yeah. Well, that's a good place to start, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. And who stars in Dracula? Bella Lugosi. Absolutely. Bella Lugosi, of course, plays Dracula, the most iconic Bella Lugosi role. And also, I would say, definitely the most iconic Dracula, right? I can't think of any other Dracula that is even remotely as iconic as Bella Lugosi's Dracula, right? Now, before we get into the movie itself, I'd like to talk a little bit about the podcast and what we're going to be doing throughout CadaverCast. Now, keep in mind, Alistair is, yes, four years old, and as a parent, because we assume that there will probably, hopefully, be some parents listening to this podcast with their kids, maybe. That would be pretty cool. And we, first of all, wanted to keep this a clean podcast, no explicit language, etc., so that it can be family-friendly. But we also wanted to use this as a space in which we can talk about monster movies that are acceptable for kids so long as your kid is ready for it, right? Because not all kids are going to be ready to watch Dracula at the age of four. It is a pretty spooky movie. Right, Alistair? Yeah. How spooky is it? Uh, very spooky. I can only handle it. Other kids did all four. Can't handle it. I'm the only kid that can handle it. Oh, you're the only one? 
I bet other kids could handle it too. Other kids who really like monsters. But we know of other kids who don't particularly like monster movies. Yeah. You know, every kid is different. And there are certainly some movies that Alistair cannot watch right now, obviously. So we'll do our best throughout the podcast to explain what in a movie might be a little bit too much for certain kids if there's language or other kinds of content. We'll talk about that too. Kids can handle some monster movies, but some kids can't handle the same monster movies as other kids can. Sure, absolutely, because all kids are different. Yeah, all kids are different, and sometimes kids like monster movies, but they're too spooky for them. Yeah, and some adults don't even like monster movies. Adults can like monster movies, but then get scared too. That's true. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Adults can get scared just like kids. Kids can get uh, less scared than grown-ups, but sometimes grown-ups don't get scared a lot. Yeah, some people do. Some some adults can't handle monster movies. Some adults don't like to be scared. No. But for us, monster movies are a safe place to be scared, and that's what we've always talked to Alistair about, right? We've always pointed out that this monster or that monster is really just an actor in a mask, in some makeup, in a costume, and that being spooked by a movie is actually a safe way to be spooked. So with that out of the way, let's move into Dracula. Dracula. So this movie was released by Universal 1931, directed by Todd Browning. Todd Browning, it's important to note, went on to direct Freaks the year after this, 1932. Freaks is pretty great. And the thing about Dracula is that out of the Universal horror movies, the Universal monster pictures, Dracula, along with Frankenstein, are two of the most iconic. When we think Dracula, when we think Frankenstein's monster, we tend to think of Boris Karloff as the monster and Bela Lugosi as Dracula. I mean, these are pretty iconic. In some monster movies, there can be two monsters together. Some monsters can be just one monster in a monster movie. Some monsters can be two monsters in one movie. Or a monster can be two monsters, three monsters, or four monsters, or five. Whatever length it is, it can be one, two, three, four, or five. I don't know what. How many monsters there are, because I haven't seen a bunch. <laughs> I've seen a bunch, but I haven't... Some of them I can't watch. And one of the appeals of the Universal horror classics for us is the fact that we do get more than one monster in a lot of these movies, right? Yes. Who do we see fighting in later movies? Oh, yeah, where there's like a bunch of monsters. Frankenstein, Dracula, um... The Wolfman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are the main ones. Oh, and The Invisible Man. The Invisible Man, yeah, especially... Don't forget him. Yeah, yeah, definitely can't forget him, especially once we get to Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. And when it's almost done, um, the guy's in the book, and then The Invisible Man... <laughs> Spoilers, the by the way. <laughs> but yeah, Alistair's favorite Universal movie for the longest time was Frankenstein meets The Wolfman, in which the two of them fight. I don't remember it. Well, we can watch it again sometime and maybe do a podcast on it. Yeah, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. We can do that. Yeah. As with any movie we talk about here on Cadavercast, keep in mind there will be a lot of spoilers. And in all likelihood, 
you've probably seen this movie or some version of Dracula and the narrative of most of those are pretty similar. Being based off the book by Bram Stoker, that should be obvious. So Al, what's Dracula all about? Dracula is, um... <laughs> uh, he's a vampire and a bunch of people get killed. But not very much because Dracula sleeps at the night. Dracula, <laughs> he sleeps at day. He sleeps at day. So that's good. But at night, some people are up and then they asking people stuff. And then Dracula goes to dream people. But night is very long. And then when it's day, people stay alive. And then the last part is where it's daytime. And then Dracula is sleeping. And then the guy asks for wood, stabs it in his heart, and then that's it. Yeah. So what do you mean by Dracula drinks people? Because he's a vampire. Vampires are not real, but they're just monsters. So they're not real. Mm-hmm. And what what do you mean by drinking people, though? Drinking... Does he drink the whole person? Does he put, like, a person in a cup and then drink the whole person? No. He drinks the blood. And how does he do that? He just takes the person and drinks his blood, and then they turn to vampire. Yeah, and the thing is, if it seems like Al's being a bit cagey about how vampires drink blood, it's because this movie isn't actually very clear about that. In movies nowadays, when you see a vampire, they, of course, have fangs and you see them bite people's necks. That's only actually talked about in the 1931 Dracula. We never see Bela Lugosi with fangs. We only hear about the fact that his victims have two puncture wounds on their neck. What those are from? Well, the movie doesn't make it entirely clear. So, yeah, the idea that he just somehow shows up, walks up to them, and drinks their blood, that's pretty much how it happens. So let's go back to the beginning of the movie, Alistair. One of the first things you noted while we were watching this is that the movie is in black and white. Yeah, but why? That's a very good question. Well, in 1931, films weren't in color. There were some technologies that allowed film to be shot in color, I don't know how early those came about, but predominantly if a movie had any color in it pre-1931, and especially during the silent film era, um, you've seen silent films, you remember the ones where they don't talk. In those days, the films would have to be colored by hand. If you wanted like one thing to be red on the screen, you'd have to color every individual frame of the film by hand red. Or you could run entire strips of film through a dye and maybe dye a whole scene blue or something like that. But for the most part, film was in black and white. It wasn't for a while until we got things like Technicolor becoming popularized by the end of the 1930s. So within that decade, color would be a very prominent thing. Though, of course, black and white movies would still be made. We typically didn't get color movies routinely until more towards the end of the 1930s. So this movie is in black and white. It's also an early sound picture. That's worth noting. The jazz singer, which popularized sound in film, came out in 1927. And so this is only four years later. While they're still working out how a sound film should look and sound at the same time, one of the things you'll find is that it doesn't have a score that helps elevate the action on screen. You just see what's happening and you hear the diegetic or the, you know, in-world sounds. 
And that's it. You don't get music over the top of things. And in a way, I think that actually makes this movie kind of creepier. Yeah. It makes it creepier because Dracula's trying to get everybody, then everybody's sleeping. Then when they're sleeping, that's the easiest way for Dracula to drink their blood because they, they don't see him. That's true. So early on in the movie, we end up at Dracula's castle in Transylvania. And we noticed some things about that castle, didn't we? Yeah. He has a bunch of animals, and he he has a bunch of spiderwebs, and he doesn't clean up his thing. Yeah, his place is pretty dirty. Why doesn't he clean up his castle? Hmm, that's a good question. Why do you think he wouldn't clean up his castle? Because I think he is spooky and he wants his castle spooky. Oh, that's a good reason. Yeah, absolutely. Right? If you're a spooky dude, you want a spooky castle. And what's spookier than yeah. possums, armadillos, and spider webs? He has more animals than that. Sure, sure. He has, he has some, definitely. But the uh, the possums and armadillos do strike me as strange. Maybe not so much the possums, but I don't particularly associate armadillos with creepiness. I don't think armadillos are particularly spooky. Maybe no, I, cute. I guess they're like spooky cute. Spooky cute. Because they are giant and they turn to balls and they're cute. Oh, sure. Well, I, I can't argue with that. Giant balls. Giant balls. <laughs> The roly-polies of the mammal world. Roly-polies are bugs, and they turn into balls. That's why it's called roly-polies. And then others are mammals, and they turn into balls just like roly-polies. Yeah, exactly. Dracula also, as Alistair wanted me to note, has a lot of candles in his castle. Because that's the only light he has. Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't have lights on the ceiling or anywhere. He can only use candles. That's all he can use. Yeah, there's no electricity at Castle Dracula. No, in other castles they do, but in his castle, it's almost just dark. He doesn't have candles everywhere. He has most candles, but some of his castles just black. That's it. Some of his rooms are just black. Do you think that's tied into his unwillingness to clean the castle? Do you think he keeps them dark so that it can be spooky, just like the rest of the place? Yeah. He has candles, but some of the rooms are just completely dark. The room where you go in, I think, has a bunch of candles. Yeah, where uh, Renfield is okay. staying. The room that he sets up for Renfield is actually much cleaner and has a bunch of candles. Yeah. What ends up happening to Renfield? Let's talk about Renfield for a minute. You thought. You thought. Okay, okay. Well, he goes to visit Dracula's castle, right? And what happens to him there? He gets turned into a vampire. They do in the movie. He gets knocked out, and then then he gets turned into a vampire. Almost like a vampire. Yeah, what we learn about Renfield is that he becomes a vampire of sorts, sort of a low-level vampire. And instead of drinking people's blood, what does he do? Instead of drinking people's bloods, he eats bugs. That's right. And near the end of the movie, apparently Dracula offers him rats instead, which I guess is a step up from bugs. Why are 
bad step up from Blumhouse. I don't know. It seems to be an improvement in Renfield's mind somehow. Which would you rather eat, bugs or rats? I'd rather eat bugs. Really? Why? Because I don't really like rats. I don't like rats. You just mean in general, not the taste of them? I'm serious. I don't like rats. I don't even like rats. Yeah, they weird you out? I don't like rats. I mean, we live in Chicago where we see some pretty nasty big rats running down the alleys every once in a while. So I understand that. I don't like rats. Would you eat spiders like Renfield does? No, thank you. No, thank you. Exactly. I, I'd say that to most of Renfield's diet. I, I would eat the other bugs, but no spiders. Well, Renfield is played in this movie by an actor named Dwight Fry. Did you recognize Dwight Fry? No. Dwight Fry is, like most of the actors in these Universal Monster movies, a Universal contract player. So he is appears. A universal contract player. That's a very good question. In the old days of the studio system in Hollywood, actors would not be hired movie by movie. They would actually be under contract to a studio. And so rather than, you know, being hired to be in one movie and then looking for another movie to work on, they would actually work at that studio and just be in whatever movie the studio told them to be in. And so when you would sign this contract with Universal... You would be under contract for Universal exclusively, which means that Universal would just put you in a bunch of movies. And so we see a lot of these actors throughout the Universal movies appearing in one monster movie after another, and Dwight Fry is one of these actors. Not only does he play Renfield in Dracula, he also plays Fritz in Frankenstein. Do you remember Fritz? No, I don't know Fritz. Fritz was Frankenstein's servant, helped him put together the monster. Yeah, I do remember Fritz. Fritz was the one that was making Frankenstein. Making the monster. Yeah. Because Frankenstein's the scientist. So not only do we have Dwight Fry in this, who's playing uh, Renfield, we also have Edward Van Sloan as Van Helsing. And Edward Van Sloan is also in a bunch of the Universal movies, but he plays Van Helsing in this, who is... I think the perfect foil to Bella Lugosi's Dracula. Lugosi's Dracula is great. Um, what did you make of him, Al? What did you make of Bella Lugosi as Dracula? Hmm. Bella Lugosi's Dracula is better than anybody else's Dracula. You think so? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've seen you have seen a few actually. I was gonna say you haven't seen that many, but no, you have. I mean, you've seen uh, Monster Squad. You've seen the later Universal movies where like John Carradine was playing Dracula. Of course, Adam Sandler is Dracula in Hotel Transylvania. So yeah, I guess you've seen quite a few Draculas. Some movies he's a little fun. Yeah, absolutely. There are definitely a lot of horror spoofs. What are horror spoofs? A spoof is just a movie that makes fun of the format of other movies, right? So if it's a spoof of Dracula, uh, which there actually is one that pretty closely follows the narrative called Dracula Dead and Loving It, which is not held in particularly high regard, but is a movie that does the kind of things you'd expect of a Dracula spoof. Like when Renfield in the 1931 Dracula cuts his finger on a paperclip, he just goes, ooh, ow, and like, we understand that there's blood there, but we don't really see the blood. In Dracula Dead and Loving It, uh, when Renfield cuts his finger, it just sprays blood everywhere, and it won't stop. 
And that's that's kind of what a spoof does, is it elevates those moments to and, levels of absurdity. And then he, like, eats it. Puts the finger in his mouth to, like, suck the blood off of it? Yes. Mm-hmm. But why did Keep in mind, our audience can't see you doing that. <laughs> but why did he do it? Why did he It's just it? a way to kind of get something to stop bleeding, really. I mean, I wouldn't do it. I typically wouldn't put a bloody finger in my mouth. I would, you know, wash it, get a Band-Aid. But you see people do that in movies and stuff. More than you would in real life. We don't really do that. Sometimes we just clean it off or give it a band-aid. That's all mm-hmm. we do with it. So what else did you want to talk about about the movie? Hmm. The wife Dracula's a Dracula's but starting the last part of the movie, he brings her in Mina. Mina in but the other wife Dracula's are Dracula's. Okay, sure. Yeah, Dracula's wives. And he bring her in there to drink her blood. So what are some of the things we see Bella Lugosi's Dracula doing throughout the movie? He shows up into a bunch of people's houses. Sometimes he goes into houses and talks to people. Sometimes when he goes into houses, he drinks people's blood. Sure, and there are some great dramatic scenes of him talking to people. The most memorable, to my mind, is the scene where Van Helsing realizes that Dracula is a vampire. I like that scene a lot, because while Dracula is talking to Mina, Van Helsing realizes that Dracula has no reflection in the mirror, right? And he uses that as sort of a trap to set Dracula up to reveal himself as the vampire that Van Helsing knows him to be. Right, So even when Dracula's not drinking people's blood, we do at least get some drama there. Yeah. Also, he turns into a bat. Also, he turns into a werewolf, I think. Yeah, he turns into a regular wolf. I don't know if it's like a werewolf per se. I mean, it's a vampire that's turning into a wolf. Um, Definitely turns into a wolf and a bat. So that's cool stuff. We don't see the transformation happen on screen. We actually don't ever see the wolf even, but... Uh, We don't see the transformations to or from the bat form, but it is actually cut in a really nice way where we'll see the bat and then it'll cut to somebody's face and then pan over and then Dracula will be standing there, you know, no longer in bat form. So you definitely get the idea. Kids can figure that out pretty easily. You mean like it goes to the bat, then it goes to the person, then it goes to the bat, then you see it come in and then it cuts to Dracula. Exactly, exactly. So it's not like a special effect. It's just an editing trick, you know, that tricks our brains into going, oh, he just turned from a bat into Dracula's regular form. But how does he do that? I don't know. I don't know how Dracula does it. I mean, I guess he just uh, wishes really hard and makes it happen. Oh, he just flies, then he turns into a bat, and then he howls, and then he turns into a werewolf. One of the things I really like about Bela Lugosi's Dracula is that we see him acknowledge his own monstrosity, but revel in the fact that people are terrified of him and that he is a horrifying being. There is a scene in which he's talking to Mina and some of the other characters about how wonderful it must be to be really dead, how amazing it would be to be really dead. And the characters are telling him that that's awful, that's a horrible thing to say. 
And his response is, there are far worse things awaiting man than death. And when he says this, we see the look on his face that acknowledges the fact that he is that thing that is worse than death, right? And it's not that immortality has proven to be a bore and he wishes he could die. It's that he loves being this monster, and we see it on his face in that moment. And that, to me, makes him a really spooky Dracula. Not that he's some romantic who wishes he could find true love and live forever, but he just wants to drink people's blood and hear them scream. That's pretty spooky. He likes to just drink people's blood and make them scream, and then that's all he wants. It seems to be. He just wants to people get scared and knocked out. Scared and knocked out. Sure, makes it easier to drink the blood. Knocked out is actually the easy, easy, easiest. So here on CadaverCast, we have a few things that we're going to try to do at the end of every episode. And I'll explain them as we go along and then probably not explain them quite so much on future episodes. But here on our first outing, I would like to at least detail for you briefly what we plan on doing every episode. One thing that we want to do each episode is have Alistair tell our listeners what kind of kids would enjoy this movie. Al, who would you recommend this movie to? I would recommend people should watch this one the most. Because it's the best. Because the end he gets killed and not in like the middle of the movie. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a good place to kill your monster right at the end. You know, yeah. don't do that in the middle because what are you going to do with the rest of the movie? Then there's no more monsters. That's not going to be fun. Yeah, you roll credits at that point. Then you don't worry about the monsters. That's not Well, what kind of kids do you think would like this? Hmm. I would say five. Just all five-year-olds? Any other kind of kids? I think all five-year-olds that ride bikes. Five-year-olds that ride bikes? Um, six-year-olds that don't ride bikes. Four-year-olds that make games, play Seven that do baseball. Eight that do football. Oh, that's very specific. That's very specific. I like it. I like it. I think those kids could probably handle Dracula from 1931. Yeah. But of course, parents, you know your kid better than we do. I know myself better than you do. <laughs> oh, you do, do you? Yes. Another thing we want to do on every episode is talk about the beastly best, which are the best monster moments in whatever movie we're talking about. So this time, of course, it's Dracula's beastly best. Alistair, what do you think are the best monster moments in this movie? I think you started. Okay, I'll start this time. So, I would say my beastly best is actually not even Dracula. I don't think that my favorite moment of the movie for any monster was Dracula. I think it's Renfield. I think I have to go Renfield on this. In particular, the scene where Dracula has chartered a ship to go from Transylvania to England, and he's got Renfield on the ship with him. At night, Dracula kills everybody on the ship. And when the ship pulls into harbor, all the authorities find on the ship is Renfield, standing at the bottom of the steps, laughing maniacally. 
<laughs> Why was he laughing? Because he's a crazy vampire guy. I think that's my favorite moment. I That's my favorite monster moment. Apart from, I think, the obvious, you know, turning into a bat. Those, thing, those things are obvious. Those things are cool. But there's something about that moment that, to me, that just defines Renfield, who's probably my favorite character in the movie. So how about you, Alistair? What's your favorite monster moment? I'm sticking with you, Dad. I'm sticking with you. You're sticking with me? Uh-huh. I'm doing the same thing. You want the same one? Well, what other moments did you like? You had to like some others, because I know you really like Dracula in this. I used to do both of them. I like Winfield and Dracula, because they both do the same thing. Winfield laughs a lot, because everything's funny to him. Yeah, those are great moments. Those really are. Yeah, and then Dracula does bad stuff, and then he laughs because he's working for Dracula. Mm-hmm. What do you think the coolest thing Dracula does in the movie is? I got this. He, like, scares a woman when he, the woman asks for a treat, then the lady screams. Oh, the the woman who tries to sell him a flower? Yeah. Oh, well, that is a good moment, and one that I wanted to talk about in our next segment. The next segment we call Get Spooked. That's the second one. And what do we talk about in Get Spooked, Alistair? That means we talk about the spookiest thing, and then sometimes whoever a lot gets spooked, some people will get spooked by it because we talk about the spookiest parts. Of Dracula. <laughs> <Spooky>. <laughs> That's right. We're talking about the spookiest moments in the movie. These are the things that may very well spook you or your kids. Al, you can go first this time. What do you think the spookiest moment is in all of Dracula? Well, like, we see the shadow of the dead guy in the wheel. Ooh, that is a spooky moment. That's a good one. We didn't note that one down. We didn't even write that one down. Good memory. That is a I spooky mean, moment. He likes says, I killed the real guy. <laughs> I think he says that. That's what I think he says. It's actually the police talking, and they talk about how when the ghost ship pulls into harbor right before we see Renfield at the bottom of the stairs, the scene I was just talking about, we see the shadow of the wheel man of the ship tied dead to the wheel. That is a spooky moment. And if we don't see the actual body, we see the shadow. Why is he tied dead to the wheel? Presumably to keep the ship going straight, I would say. Yeah. But that is really spooky because we see the dead body hanging from the wheel. Oh, yeah. Uh, In shadow form, though. Of course, we don't see the actual body. We just see the shadow of it. But not seeing the body kind of makes it spookier because then our imaginations fill in the rest. You mean our body, like, sees the body of the guy? Yeah, we imagine it. For me, the spookiest moment in Dracula is really early on in the proceedings. Actually, I don't think it's that early. Uh, I think it's maybe, like, actually a half hour into the movie. But it's a movie that cooks. I mean, this movie is really fast-moving and quite short. The running time of Dracula is actually only an hour and 14 minutes. But a lot happens. 
for me, the spookiest moment is when he first arrives in London. One of the first things we see him do in London is he's walking down the foggy London streets at night, and he comes across a young woman selling flowers. And being in the fog, being in the shadows, he's able to overtake the woman. And it's this really long, drawn-out scene of him getting closer and closer to her. And then it cuts away, and we hear her scream. And that's quite a spooky moment. It sets the tone for the rest of his time in London. That's all we see of London. Just him doing that. That's all we see of Just going around drinking ladies' blood? Drinking her blood. That's always Well, actually, well, there's some other stuff in London. There yeah? Is. Yeah. But not much stuff he's doing scary in London. Yeah, just drinking people's blood. The huge. That brings us to the final semi-regular segment of Cadavercast, which is Monstrous Minutia. Alistair, do you want to explain it? Yes. A monster minutia is where you do the weird little bits. That's right. The movie. Yeah, what we're going to be doing when we watch the movies is keeping an eye out for weird little things. Moments that you might not normally notice but strike us as an odd thing to do or an odd thing to include. We won't have this every time, I can't imagine, but it is something that we do try to keep our eyes out for. One of the weird little things I noticed in this movie, and I can't say is I noticed too many more, But the only weird little thing that I noticed, and maybe you noticed something too that you could talk about, Alistair, but to me, the only thing that stood out was in the scene where we first meet Professor Van Helsing. Van Helsing wears glasses, and as somebody who wears glasses myself, I guess this stuck out to me. When Van Helsing takes his glasses off and puts them down on his desk, he puts them down lens first, so that it's right on the glass of the glasses. Which isn't a very smart thing to do at all, because then you can scratch your glasses. And that kind of undermines Van Helsing's authority as a wise vampire killer. Did you spot anything, Al? I spotted two things. Two things? What were the two things you spotted? Hmm. I spotted the Dracula, like, points the ladies around, but he didn't say anything. Ooh. He just points, but he doesn't say anything. Okay, yeah. Just go back. Yeah. Dracula is able to just point people around and he can mind control them without even having to say anything. That is a good thing to note because he does do it without any dialogue. That makes Bela Lugosi's Dracula that much creepier, knowing that he can make people do things without even having to say a word, right? So what else did you notice? That's, that's my one. Now I have one more. Okay. The second thing is where, like, the guys are trying to go there, but there's, like, giant waves, and I think it's a thunderstorm, and there's, like, giant waves, and, like, they're trying to get to London, and then they go like this, and then a wave comes onto them, and they go like this. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're going up and over the waves. Yeah, absolutely. What struck you as weird about that? Because, like, they're going, like, Oh, the, the ship's moving sideways? Yeah, it's going like this. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, well, it's going like sideways, this way. That's what happens when a ship is out on the stormy seas. If a ship gets caught in the storm, those waves will knock it all over the place, tipping it sideways, tipping it forwards. But 
one or of the doing things this or doing this. Yeah, one of the things you might have been noticing in that scene is that that ship was tipping over really, really, really far. And there's a good reason for that. And it's that the ship was actually a miniature when we see it first. So instead of like filming a full size ship, they filmed a teeny tiny ship and then just played it off to the audience like it was a full size ship. So that miniature was really getting thrown around in those waves. Absolutely. So that is something that would stick out. There are a couple miniatures in it's the like movie. It's like side to side, up and down, dipping, flopping right up, and then it keeps doing that over and 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 over again. Yeah, because they've got that miniature and they're just knocking it around with that water. And there was actually at least one more miniature in the movie. I don't know if you saw it. Dracula's yeah. castle, when we first see it from afar, is presented in miniature. So we got some great miniatures here. We also have some good matte paintings for backgrounds. You mean like a bunch of miniatures? I just I think they're just two. I counted two, but I may have missed one or two while I was taking some notes. It's actually incredibly appropriate for monstrous minutia that you point out the miniatures because we're talking about weird little things and you don't get more little than a miniature, huh? Yeah. Good eye, man. That's my two things. So, anything else you want to say about Dracula? No. Well then, I guess that's a good place to end this. Alistair, thank you for doing this podcast with me. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, it is your podcast after all. Well, everybody, that's it for the first episode of CadaverCast. We hope you enjoyed. We hope you learned a little bit, too. You can look us up on Twitter at cadaver underscore cast. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, we'd love to hear from you. You can hit us up there on Twitter or shoot us an email at cadavercast, and that's one word, at gmail.com. I'm Alistair Burnham. And I'm Jeff Burnham. We want to thank you for listening. Thanks, everybody. Hey Al, I've got a question for you. Yes. Do you like podcasting? Yes. Do you want to go to college someday? Yes. Well, guess what, listeners? You can help us with both those things. If you like what you hear on CadaverCast and want to hear more in the future, help us keep the lights on, so to speak, by heading on over to our network's GoFundMe page at gofundme.com slash wordsaladpro. Any donations you make there go toward supporting the amazing content at Word Salad Productions. But that's not all. We here at CadaverCast aren't doing this podcast to get rich. I mean, if I wanted to get rich, I wouldn't have gone into education, right? No, this is about nurturing my relationship with my son Alistair and helping him grow up to be as critical and well-spoken as humanly possible. That said, I'm pledging here that any money the podcast brings in over basic upkeep will go straight into Alistair's college fund. It's for our bonus. So, if you want to help us keep the content coming and support this little guy, who I hope you find as sweet and entertaining as I do, head on over to gofundme.com slash wordsaladpro and donate today. And if you'd like the entirety of your donation to go to CadaverCast, just leave a note saying as much in your donations comments. But wait, there's more. Any donation of $5 during the month of July 2016, which 
I know doesn't give you much time once this episode is posted, enters you in our July word salad raffle. The prize? One randomly chosen winner gets to pick a topic for our sister podcast, The Countdown, to cover in a future episode. $5 earns you one entry, and every dollar after that earns you another entry. So that's two entries for $6, three entries for $7, and so on. So hurry on over to GoFundMe.com slash WordSaladPro. And we at WordSalad, thank you for your support. We really appreciate it. That we do.